The Latter-day Lives podcast is not owned or operated by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Any opinions expressed or implied in this recording are solely those of the host and guests and not of any specific organization, unless otherwise stated. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 164 of the Latter-day Lives podcast. I'm your host, Sean Rapier. Thank you so much for checking in with us again this week. Before we get into the conversation, a couple of quick items of housekeeping. First of all, we want to thank a new five-star reviewer on Apple Podcasts. The uh, listener name is Melissa at Life Tumbled. Thank you so much for your kind words and your five-star review. All of these reviews really help us to be found when people are searching for good content. And speaking of good content, need to tell you about a podcast from a former guest. Uh, we had Ken Williams on. Uh, it's actually been, gosh, I think a couple of years now. But uh, you may remember Ken from uh, his chocolate cake ministering. It's called The Chocolate Cake Phenomenon. He wrote a whole book about it. Basically, Ken makes the best chocolate cakes. And he'll bake a cake and then kind of think about and pray about who might need some cake. And he ministers that way. He has turned it into a podcast. And while Ken lives uh, way on the other side of the country from me, the other night he stopped by out of the blue, was in town, dropped by with his daughter. He had made a shirt for me that was so cool and dropped off some chocolate cake. But he told me about his podcast. I absolutely love it. The podcast is called Chocolate Cake Bites. That's B-Y-T-E-S, Chocolate Cake Bites, a different way of ministering. And he's got a few episodes on there. They're really inspiring. They talk about uh, the importance of ministering, and Ken is just fun and engaging. Go check out his new podcast. All right, this week in the conversation, my guest, Jared Miller, is such a talented artist with a passion for the Book of Mormon. And he has just the coolest project. I love it. He's also just led a fascinating life. Uh, we got that coming up. And this week in my latter day life, the trouble with learning. <laughs> it's all coming up. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's conversation. And today, here on the Latter-day Lives podcast, uh, my guest is taking on a pretty huge project that is so cool. I have a thousand questions about it. But before we do, we're going to get to know you a little bit. Jared Miller, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on. This is an exciting project, Jared. So we've got uh, a lot of questions, but we'll save that for the end. Why don't you tell us, first of all, a little bit about where you're from, where you grew up? Well, I was born in Provo, uh, was a BYU baby, but after that, we really traveled all over the place. My dad worked for Amoco Oil Company um, mm. back when it still existed, and, yeah. and we really just stayed in, in a couple of years in one place, then a couple of years in another place, and and went from Chicago to Louisiana to Wyoming Wow, to Texas. We We actually almost went to, uh, Jakarta once. Um, oh but yeah, we were, we were, my mother, I guess was spared because she got pregnant with our fifth, uh, her fifth baby. So we ended up staying in the States. I think she was glad about that one. 
Yeah, Jakarta would have been a, a wild place to have a child and raise a baby. It, it would have been, that's for sure. So is there a place, you know, if, if you didn't spend a lot of time in those places, is there a place you consider home base or are you just a child of the U.S.? I'd probably say Chicago. I ended up being there three different times. So um, mm. that probably feels like home as much as anywhere. Yeah. And why not? Because best pizza in the world comes out of Chicago. So you yeah, might as well. Oh, they had a perennial losing baseball team. I mean, what, what can inspire a child more? <laughs> hey, they eventually got it together, so that's all right. <laughs> they did. Uh, so, what were you into when you were uh, when you were growing up? Oh, pretty much everything. Um, my brother, my brothers, and I uh, would play baseball uh, outside in front of our house. We'd um, when we lived in Houston, there was a pond close by, and we used to go fishing in in our pond. Um, and we had an older friend who was a couple years older than my brother and I, and and uh, he actually liked to uh, go fishing for water moccasin, mm. and he oh would just have a Bowie knife, take off their head, chop them off, and then skin the snake and and put it up on his wall. A water moccasin is nothing to mess around with. Like, no, that's, no, it, that's a very it, well, venomous snake. As as a child. You just hear an uh, older kid telling that he's going to go do this. And you're like thinking, oh, man, this is going to be awesome. <laughs> and so we, we went to the pond. We were fishing. And uh, we caught this water moccasin. And we saw it just start coming toward us. And, and how it moves on, on the top of the water, it, it's crazy. He hands the pole over to me. My brother is... is uh, now move to the end of the dock and he's he's like if if the snake comes out of the water i'm running mom's not gonna like this he he's the wiser of the two of us obviously yeah that's funny I, i'm just standing there thinking trying to reel up this this water moccasin and uh the pole is just bending way over and then it it wiggles and and gets loose and skitters off into the back into the pond and and, um, but that, that's kind of my childhood growing up. We <laughs> backyard or we had an empty lot. We played, um, build forts and, you know, just regular American life, I guess. It sounds so Americana. I love it. I love it. It's very, you know, get out and build a fort and get dirty and, you know, hang out with your brothers and catch water moccasins. And yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, we never actually, probably fortunately, my mom's very glad that we never did catch the water moccasin. Yeah. Um, that's but good. yeah, it, <laughs> great memories. I know that art is going to come into play here uh, with the project that we're talking about. Were you, were you an artistic kid? No, not really that much we had an uncle who was an amazing artist and um but as a child i pretty much just involved in in everything else i mean i guess i i enjoyed drawing i enjoyed observing the world and i enjoyed uh the beauty of of nature and everything, everything awesome around me, so. that is so great and you were raised in the church your family was you were always raised in the church yeah my uh my dad was a convert when he was in his teens and uh, mm. my mom's parents were converts. So awesome. Yeah. I was blessed to have the gospel all my life. So you get through with your high school years, you're kind of done uh, moving around and growing up. 
time to get out on your own. What came next? Then I went off to school. By then I had, in high school, I, I kind of found art um, and started uh, spending a lot of time trying to figure out how to, how to draw, how to paint. And, and uh, I went down to BYU um, after my mission and had an amazing experience there. Where did um, you serve your mission? I served in Cambodia. Oh my gosh. How yeah. awesome. Oh man. It was, it was such an amazing experience. Um, uh, re- just life changing experience. It actually was one of these missions, which was perfect for me because it sounded really exotic. Um, we lived very comfortably and we had a lot of success. So it was, it was kind of this <laughs> really cool sounding cushy mission that probably allowed me to stay and, and, uh, and just have an amazing experience. So talk a little bit about that. Cause I think you're our first guest who served in Cambodia. Uh-huh. Um, as we've talked before, I've spent a ton of time in Asia, but never, never any time in Cambodia. Uh, talk about the church in Cambodia. What does that look like? And okay. how many years, and how many years ago was this? So this, this was in 99 to 2001. Okay. So when I got there, the church had really, uh, the church had gone into Cambodia a little earlier, but because of a, a political coup, they had to pull out um, in 1997. Mm. And then they returned uh, shortly after that. So uh, when I, when I got there, there were uh, five branches um, all the members were, were really new, were young, and were just excited about the, the church. I remember in my first area, I would, uh, literally go on splits with different, different members of the church. These, uh, I guess they were 16, 17 year old young men and just spend the whole day with them just going house to house and and my companion would be doing the same thing and then we'd meet up during the day and share who we were teaching and it was a lot of success it was it was really exciting but you come home from your mission to cambodia slight change by the way uh even though i haven't been there cambodia to provo i'm assuming there was a little bit of a culture shock (laughs) Just, just a little bit yeah talk about your byu experience I have nothing but good things to ever talk about BYU. BYU has helped shape me. I loved meeting people who loved the gospel mm. and saw the beauty of it and realized that that giving your life to the gospel really broadens and blesses your life. Mm, right. To be put in a in a situation where every day I was surrounded by so many people who shared that same love. I spent a lot of time uh, focused on on art and, and drawing and painting, and, and there was some great faculty members who helped me understand the principles behind, um, behind the craft. However, what I really enjoyed was just the variety of people I met, being around fellow members of the church who uh, saw the world in a similar lens to the way awesome. I So were you an art major? I was. I actually double majored in art and psychology. And my parents lovingly told me when I would go home that I chose two worthless majors. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you leave BYU. What came next? Um, so then I headed up to, to 
uh, Salt Lake. And it, while I was there, um, I was, uh, my sister had, had gone up right before me and, and we wanted to spend a little bit of time together and, and live close by. So we moved into the same apartment complex and, mm. and the first day I was, I was headed over to her house, three, uh, three girls walked up to me. Um, they were headed off to a party and, and, uh, one of them was amazing. Um, <laughs> the other two were, were, were good as well. I'm, I'm sure, but one of them was just absolutely incredible and, um, stopped and talked to her and, and found out who she was and turns, turns out that she, um, was actually in my ward and, and even stranger coincidence is my roommate home taught her first day met her and, and then after that ended up trying to strategically spend more time with her, (laughs) um, and convince her that I was worth spending a little bit of time with too. Yeah. Things, things went off and, and I was headed out to, uh, Chicago to go to the art Institute of Chicago. And so I was only there for a short time, but before I left, I was kind of, uh, struggling with, you know, should I really like this girl, but I'm going all the way across the country. Um, should I pursue a a long distance relationship? I've heard that they're you know, they're so hard and nothing ever good comes out of them. But I decided to give it a try. And um, uh, 13 years later, we've been happily married for... That is phenomenal. How cool is that? Very, very cool. So did you end up going to to the Art Institute? Yeah, I went to the Art Institute of Chicago. um, And after uh, I attended there, I started my own design firm. Chicago is such a beautiful place. There's so much things to do. We lived about um, a mile north of Wrigley Field in Mm -hmm. this uh, inner city ward. And it was just the awesomest experience. Just such amazing people. We had um, one sister who brought her, her and her husband came from Africa as as refugees. Oh, beautiful. Um, Oh, it was their story was just absolutely incredible. They, she literally had to flee from her home in the middle of the night for safety. And in that ward uh, out in Chicago, everybody just had these incredible stories that um, were all different depending on their, their backgrounds. But How beautiful. How beautiful yeah. to bring that diverse of backgrounds together to worship God. I love that. After week one in the ward, we're family. We've yeah. never been to the place to, to the place before, but they welcome us into our hearts and, and we want to give our hearts to them too. And, and uh, that's one thing that I've just loved about the gospel is that wherever we've been, um, there's people who are living the, living Christ's law and, and want to make the world a better place. I think when you have people from disparate backgrounds like that and, and definitely coming from all over the place and everything else, it's a very different sense of the word brother and sister. It takes on a very different meaning, um, you know, than, than maybe how it does in some other words. And it's not to assign value to say something's worth more or less. 
it's that when people don't have a ton of family around or come from tricky circumstances, when they say brother or sister, gosh, that means something, huh? Yeah, it does. It does. Yeah. And it gives you this whole broader perspective of what it means to follow Christ. Um, I remember listening to one of the um, one of the sisters from Africa pray and uh, in church, and it was just with such power. It it's hard to describe, um, but it was an, a different experience that I had ever to that time experienced. I love it. I love those experiences. I've been blessed to go to church in many corners of the world, and it's it's amazing how different it is culturally, and yet it all kind of goes to the same place. And that's what, what connects us. How long were you guys in Chicago? Uh, we ended up being there uh, around three or four years. Yeah. And then uh, you've got this, how did your, your design firm do? Uh, <laughs> it was crazy. So, uh, and it, it was actually a really um, cool story. So at, when I started the, the firm, it was absolutely awful to be blunt. My wife uh, was working as a school psychologist and, and uh, she was really sustaining us. And <laughs> uh, yeah. And then uh, she got pregnant with, or we got pregnant with our first son and she had to decide, you know, am I going to stay at home or am I going to um, keep on working? And uh, she prayed about it and felt like for her that she should stay stay home with our son. And it was, and we were financially, we were like, uh, "How are we going to make this work? It's <laughs> this is not the wisest financial decision." But the amazing thing is, is the month that she resigned, I ended up earning more than her and me combined. Wow. And from there on out, my business just exploded. And it, it was just a huge merit. It was nothing that I did. I was always doing the same amount of work, the same quality of work, but the Lord just what a blessing. prepared a way for us to um, make that work. Oh, I love hearing that. So if things are things are going well, you've got a kid now, everything's kind of moving along, but for some reason you're about to leave Chicago. What was that all about? So I just felt like the I sh- should go back to school. I wasn't really sure exactly why or or um what for. Uh actually right before um I left other marketing firm, another marketing firm from Chicago. Um, that was much larger than me, asked, asked me if I would come on to their firm and lead their, their design team because they had become aware of the work that I'd, I had done. But I just felt like, you know, that that wasn't the path that I should take. I, I felt like my wife and I both um, prayed about this together and, and consulted together and ended up feeling like I needed to go back to school for whatever reason. and. Mm. That ended up with me going to get a PhD uh, at the University of Washington in psychology or in organizational behavior, rather, which was 
an amazing experience. I mean, we were living out in, in Washington. We were able to, to just, again, meet a whole different set of people that we came to call brother and sister. Right. Yeah. And, um, all that time, uh, I'm thinking, all right, I've finally found, uh, what I'm going to, going to do for the rest of my life. Um, <laughs> have, have a lot of security with, with a life of academia. My, my wife likes to joke that when she married me, uh, she thought she was going to marry a poor artist. And, and then, uh, I, started being a little bit more successful and she thought I was going to be a successful businessman. And then I <laughs> left to do, uh, on, uh, do get a PhD. And then I was going to have this life of security finally, um, as an academic. And then, um, when I spring this later change on her, she's like, it's come full circle. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I've spent some time on that campus. It is gorgeous it is in oh, such man. a beautiful area so but you you finish up your phd where i i'm i know you didn't stay in washington so where did you guys go from there and why i was finishing up my phd and expecting to go like i said to a life of academia I, my uh record um in school was was pretty good um in terms of of finding a job for uh, people in my field, um, what really matters is publications, and and that's kind of the currency. And uh, I was uh, fortunate enough to have a couple of A level publications, so I was sitting pretty good, feeling pretty confident about where I was. And then um, right before I went on the job market, I my brother in law came and and gave me a blessing, and in this blessing it said one of the things it said was the path that you're going to take isn't what you, you expect it to be. And wow. w- which I was like, huh, that's, that's weird. Cause there's three options. One, I get a job two, I get a postdoc or three. I just stick around the university and apply the next year. Uh, I'd been, um, thinking about the book of Mormon and, and how we read the book of Mormon and how we share the book of Mormon and, and, the idea for my project just started gnawing at my mind and really just touching my soul. Then I realized that, you know, I can't just be dancing around this. I need to either decide, am I going to do this crazy project or, or am I going to, uh, and ignore the feelings that I have, or am I going to reject the feelings that I have? So how fleshed out was the idea for the book at that time? Could you kind of see the whole thing in your mind or did you just know I need to do a book of art based on the Book of Mormon? No, uh, back then when at the very beginning, when I received the blessing, I didn't, I couldn't see it. I didn't understand uh, what I felt I was supposed to do, but um, as time went by and actually as I moved closer to actually graduating, by the time I, uh, finished up my dissertation and, and graduated, I saw it in my, my, uh, head. I understood the principles that I really wanted to address with this project. 
So, but you decided, hey, rather than staying put in Washington and starting on all the art and everything for this, you decided to make a big move. So first of all, I had to have the conversation with my wife that, hey, we're, <laughs> we're um, that, that security that you wanted, you're just going to have to hold off on that for a little bit longer. Um, to show how amazing my wife is, uh, sh- she listened to me. Mm. And she was willing to hear what I s- said, and and together we we turned to the Lord and asked if if uh, this is really what um, what we're supposed to do. The answer this time came to me a lot faster than it came to her, um, and rightfully <laughs> so, right? Rightfully sure. so. When when I told her that, hey, we really can start this and and go anywhere in the world, then we started brainstorming, you know, where, where should we go? And then she said, well, why not overseas? And I'm like, yeah, we can go overseas. You know, Bali, I heard is pretty nice. Uh, and she's like, why not Cambodia? And my mind goes 20 years back to when I was serving and I'm then thinking of bringing six kids to Cambodia and you had six kids by then. Yes, we had six kids and, oh and I'm thinking gosh. I'm thinking, oh no possible way. There <laughs> that is not that is not a good idea. Instead, I, I said, Oh well, yeah, maybe we can we could think about it. That night she she felt like she saw how living in Cambodia could answer all these questions that she had. And so she really led this and and this idea of let's go to Cambodia. And I remember where we were actually uh, moved down to Utah right before we headed to Cambodia. And while we're in Utah, she goes to a state conference and it turns out that Elder Gong is visiting uh, the state conference with his wife, uh, the special evening uh, with his wife. And he starts talking about um, how there's this, this uh, brother and sister in Cambodia who he had talked about. And it turns out that this was my, one of the people I had the opportunity to train. Oh my gosh. um, So she felt like the spirits telling her that, you know, he's talking to you. This, the decision that you are making is, is what's right. That and is amazing. I decided to jump on board with this crazy idea, and we took our six kids and headed off to Cambodia. So and it what was, was that like? It was one of the most incredible experiences of my life. The saints there are amazing. Wherever we, we've gone, they've always treated us like family um, in the church. However, there it was a whole new level. Mm. And uh, we were living up in in Simbriyip, which is kind of the the touristy hub of Cambodia. It's where Angkor Wat is. Angkor Wat, yeah, yeah. A bunch of movies have been filmed there. Just an incredible place. And the members there, uh, they have two small branches, are just absolutely just incredible. They again, they're family. Sunday would would roll around and and. Um, 
they'd actually go there early in the day and it would be this whole day event where people would bring bring lunches and and stay there we you'd talk together you'd share just experiences together and and it was just such a faith promoting uh experience to see people of such faith who who are willing to sacrifice everything that they have to follow the lord Oh, this is beautiful. How long were you in Cambodia? Uh, so we ended up uh, being there for uh, a little bit over a year. So right at the tail end of that, we were looking at coming coming back to the states, and and we realized that you know uh, we're probably not going to be traveling to Asia to live out here for very long. So why don't we check out a little bit more of Southeast Asia? And so we decided to head out to Malaysia for a little bit, and that's when COVID struck, and we ended up being trapped in Malaysia for uh, what? six months and uh, my wife is pregnant um, and we're going back. We wanted to get back to the States to have the baby one flight after another flight after another flight was canceled on us. I call the airlines and, and, and tell them, you know, my wife is having a baby. This is the last flight we can, we can go on because of international uh, rules about when pregnant women can fly. Um, we really need to get home. And, uh, thankfully, uh, they finally were able to make accommodations and we were able to make it home a month before the baby. That must've been, Jared, that is the craziest experience. So did you guys have some pretty interesting experiences in Malaysia, I assume? Uh, yeah, but they were, they were on a whole different level. Um, we, the place we chose was right across the street from just this beautiful park where the kids could go out and play. However, when, when the lockdown happened in Malaysia, it was a lockdown. Yeah. Meaning if you were in the park by yourself or with anybody else, you, you were given a, um, a $250 fine. Yeah. One of my coworkers lives in Malaysia and he was telling me that he has to get a, a pass to go grocery shopping. You oh, have to it, show the pass that you have on that specific day. Yeah. Wow. It, it was crazy. So uh, the front was was walled in. There was this kind of walled in, uh, almost a driveway. And in the front yard, my kids, or in the front, my kids would uh, play a lot of Foursquare. Our neighbors... Mm. Our neighbors uh, had some badminton rackets, so they'd actually play badminton with our neighbors while we um, <laughs> uh, hitting over the wall in between. Oh my uh, gosh! While we were waiting, but it was really just us in in the apartment for, or not the apartment in the like a townhouse for uh, those six, pretty much six months. It must have been such a relief to get home. Oh, and to be back back in the U.S. after all of this, I'm proud to be an American, <laughs> Jared. I'm sure that is. There must have been times where you thought, "Are we going to get out of here? We're going to have a baby. We're going to be, uh, you know, how long are we going to be stuck?" So, but you make it back home. Uh, did you go to Michigan right away? Yeah, we did. Uh, we ended up going to to Michigan, 
uh, then headed out to have the baby actually in in Utah, but then headed back to Michigan to do. So, there. so what what took you to Michigan? Uh, again, my my wife is a woman of faith, so she felt like we should go back to to Michigan, and we didn't really know why. We had you lived act- in Michigan before? At no, some point? no. My my wife had grown up in Michigan, but oh, gotcha. Um, okay. She, I mentioned going to Michigan before, and she was like, "Nah, it's." Uh, she really had no desire to come back to uh, live in Michigan. Um, so we came out here and found out that her her sister was in in a group home um, because she's uh, has something essentially like as cerebral palsy, mm. um, where she isn't really uh, able to function. Um, by herself. And so w- when we got here, we saw that she was uh, not just being neglected and, and was just sick and uh, had a serious first degree burn that was mm. not being treated and, and just in these horrible conditions. And so uh, we brought her to live with us and, wow. and, and she's really been a blessing. It's Tara, that is so beautiful. We have now teased calling it the project or the Book of Mormon project or whatever. Tell us what the project is. While I was getting my PhD, I looked at the way that we share the Book of Mormon. And I realized the way we do that it was is we try to convince other people that they should read it. We say, this is really important. This is going to change your life. Read it. A lot of times people see the, you know, the, uh, the blue cover of the Book of Mormon and it scares them. They see white shirts and ties. There's all these preconceived notions um, that they have and, and uh, which aren't true. And because of that, they, they turn away from it. So I thought, what if instead of, of having this push marketing strategy, what if instead we turned it on its head and made it this pull marketing strategy? Mm. where we create interesting content that grabs people's attention and attracts people. Because if, if I see an interesting picture, what do I do? I want to read about it. I want to find out more about it, about what's, what goes on. And so I thought, you know, if, if we are able to create different images and, and tie them to the Book of Mormon, then maybe that's going to, that's going to get a whole new set of people interested in the Book of Mormon that were never interested in the Book of Mormon before. Because as, as a child, I remember looking at those, I don't know if you did this, but those 10 or 12 images that right. Ronald Freeberg did, right? Nephi's arm outstretched, sure. Yeah. Also and iconic. Yeah. They, they, they captured my imagination just with those those. I don't know, 12 images. Just to digress a little bit, while, while doing this, this project, I actually found out the history behind these images. Mm. Um, for me, I always thought that the church had commissioned them. That the yeah, church, I thought that too. Yeah, no, no. Mm. It, it wasn't a prophet. It wasn't an apostle. It was this sister named Sister Cannon or Adele Cannon House. Mm. And she had this dream 
of bringing the different heroes of the Book of Mormon to life to all the children. And she wanted to put them on the, the, in the front. And so she went to, to uh, the church and said, hey, would you mind funding this? And they, they were like, oh, I'm sorry, we're, we don't have the budget for it. We can't do it. And so uh, she looked around for, for other ways to fund this project and, and get this project, give this project momentum. And, and she couldn't find it. So she felt very strongly that she should do this project. So she ended up finding the artist and, and commissioning her, him herself. And actually, the very last thing she did on her deathbed, she sold her own land to assure that those images mm. would be finished. Wow. And now, six, more than six decades later, you think of how many millions <laughs> of people have been shaped by those images. It's incredible. Uh, that is amazing. So this is called the Book of Helaman Part 1. Uh, so does it start with Helaman? It starts with the beginning of Helaman um, and actually takes us all the way right to um, right before Samuel Blaine. We believe that there's power in the Book of Mormon, in the words of the Book of Mormon. And so we're using Joseph Smith's translation. We're, we're not changing it up or, or revising it anyway, but, but pairing um, this new artwork with the Book of Mormon in order to change people's perspective, to open these conversations and help them see the Book of Mormon like they've never seen it before. Well, that is for darn sure, because like while we're talking, you know, I've already looked at all these once and I'm captivated while we're talking. I'm looking at these images. These, uh, you know, I would have pictured, I guess, the, the Freeburg style, but not only is this a very modern, very modern style, but it's also set in modern times. Yeah. So explain that a little bit. Well, the fact is, is I don't have a clue what Nephi looked like. I don't have a clue what Helaman looked like. And all I know is that if I try to replicate the history or uh, the visuals for things that I don't know what they look like, I'm going to get it wrong. But yeah. I do know that we're supposed to liken everything to ourselves. Mm. We're, tr we're supposed to put ourselves in the scriptures. And so I'm trying to create an avenue for us to uh, see ourselves in the Book of Mormon and, and experience the Book of Mormon like we've never experienced it before. You know, I'm not necessarily well-versed in art, but this reminds me of very either video game or graphic novel. It's very, very modern. Like I keep using that word because I'm not sure what other word to use, but it's very modern and very stylized in, in what it is. And it paints almost like this, this world in decline, which we understand it was, but almost more in a post-apocalyptic way or feeling about it. Does that, am I, am I catching it a little bit? Yeah. So I, I think you are. Arnold Freeberg was able to create 12 images in order to make this project work. We were going to have to create dozens of images for every single one that he created. Mm. And so instead of painting it like he did, 
what we're doing is we're leveraging all the the tools that we've developed, the digital tools, the the processes that um, video, the video game industry and the movie industry has developed in order to create stunning images, but to do it quickly. And so um, that's what we're really focusing on, creating compelling images that will bring people to the Book of Mormon and make them them uh, interested in, in reading about these incredible stories. And you're going to be putting this together into one book that will be published. Um, you had a Kickstarter that was successful, which a lot of times we've had guests on here who've had some successful, some not. Talk about the Kickstarter experience. Uh, so what I saw was just a lot of people really excited about this idea. And when they saw the images, they, they were floored because they haven't ever seen anything like it. Um, and so people started supporting us and started supporting the project. And, and um, we had one of the people uh, who supported the project was so excited. He wanted to um, buy these uh, pre-order all these books for his whole family. Wow. Um, so he pre-ordered 20, 20 books that he could send to everybody so he could uh, share his testimony in a, in a new way. This, the book of Helaman is really just the first installment. What we want to do is create the whole Book of Mormon in this medium so people can uh, can share the Book of Mormon in, in a completely new way. And those people who uh, are turned off by the, the stereotypes that sharing the gospel has might have had to them uh, will be able to experience it in this new way um, and, and see these images that, that grab them. So yeah, we, in order to test this idea um, before we actually invited a thousand people to read the book of Mormon and we gave them two different uh, types of invites. This is, this is my, research background coming through. <laughs> um, but we gave them two types of different uh, invites. We either showed them the uh, normal Book of Mormon and invited them to read the Book of Mormon, or we showed them some of the images that we created and invited them to read the Book of Mormon. And what we saw was amazing. Uh, when we just straight up invited them, we had about 7% who um, said yes and actually started reading. Uh, which was which was cool, uh, but when when we uh, shared the Book of Mormon with the images that we had created, that number bumped up to forty three percent. Wow! And which Jared, was that's amazing. It 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 was very exciting. It made us really feel like you know this this project might might make a difference. So when do you think the project will be, will be done and ready to be published? Uh, so that's been the biggest, uh, the biggest hiccup is, is lining up all the artists that we need and making sure that the quality of, of artwork is really there. Uh, at the end of, of March, early April, we're launching this a sample book that has 30 pages and we're sending it to our kicks, 
uh, our Kickstarter followers and, and supporters to help them preview the book and, and um, look at it and, and uh, give us feedback on what they like and, and maybe things that we can alter to make it more impactful, especially for, for those who might be struggling with their testimony or may not want to initially be interested in the Book of Mormon. But then um, after that, uh, we're going to um, finish up the rest and, and we're looking at uh, the end of July mm. um, to have it done. Just looking at these images, I mean, if this was a movie, I want to see it. If this is a video game, I want to play it. If this is a book, I want to read it. It's so stylized and it's just so fresh and so different. And I'm, I, I got to be honest, I'm looking through it and I guess now would be a good time to, to uh, share myscriptures.org. Uh, that's a place that people can go to and, and can see some of the art. Yeah. And I'm in my head spinning going, okay, does this apply? Oh, this must be this. And oh, this must be, you know, it's amazing. Yeah. And I will tell our audience when you go check it out, whatever you're picturing in your mind right now, it's not that, you know, well, I, you know, it's and, not. No. And, and that's, that's actually one of the things that in, in sharing this work with other people that we've seen um, it's helpful. It's been helpful to hear back from other people and realize we need to help other people see what the artist's insights were in creating this work. Yeah. Um, and so we've started doing that and, and helping people, um, people make that connection more salient. So for example, we have in the first images is this woman who's crying. She's just laying on the ground weeping and it's a image of, Pahoran's wife. Mm. Um, just because at the beginning it talks about how Pahoran dies. And then what we see later on is, is the, her three sons battle for the, the judgment seat. Yeah. And she sees one son die. Another son tr tried for treason and, and the other, other son killed by Lamanites. I mean, it's just this tragedy. And yet, um, what we try to paint in in each of these 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 images is what I've seen in my own personal life is that when we're knee deep in in tragedy, that's when the spirit pulls us out and we're able to see the hand of the Lord in our lives. Mm. And so, in each of those images, that's that's what we're trying to do is is not just say that things were hard. But things were hard, but the Lord was always with them if yeah. they turned to him. This image of Pahoran's wife and the lighting on it and just her collapse and the way her dress fell, it's unbelievable. So is this one that you did? Uh, yeah, that is one that, that I did. Jared, it, it's so stunning and so striking. And, you know, then there's a, am I guilty which is a young man with a hoodie on and his arms outstretched. That's something I see all the time, but I don't necessarily tie it into the Book of Mormon. But now that I'm starting to see how the story unfolds, it all ties back and just tells the same story, but in a completely different way. Like this is really beautiful. So spiritually, what's it been like putting this all together? To be honest, it's been overwhelming. 
Um, I have this, this vision for what I, I feel I need to do. And I feel completely underqualified for it. What I've done is just take one step after another and, and do what I can. And so far with what we've, we've done, I, I feel like it's, it is good. It's It's, phenomenal. Um, but the process has just been completely humbling. Well, it's really beautiful. Uh, we've all missed the Kickstarter. The Kickstarter has closed. So if people want to support this effort is other than, you know, you can go to myscriptures.org. There's some uh, pieces, I guess, once a month that people can purchase, which the one that I'm looking at right now, Flax and Threads, is absolutely stunning. It's a beautiful piece, but outside of buying the art, uh, how can people best support this effort? So you could support the project by going to the website, uh, myscriptures.org. And on the website, we're going to have a place where if you want to make support to the project, you, you can. Because we, what we've seen is that there are a lot of people who do want to support this, who believe in the project as uh as much as I do, um, who want to financially support and, and anything that, that, uh, people want to, we're, we're very grateful for that, but we need to go ahead and, and set that up on the website and we're going to go ahead and do that. Um, you can also pre-order the, the book at any time. Mm. Um, and if, if you, now. if you pre-order fast enough, then we'll be able to send you that sample uh, 30-page book as well. Awesome. It's, it's so stunning, and I would urge all of our listeners, go check out myscriptures.org. It, Jared, this is not at all what I expected. Someone from your team had reached out to me uh, you know, to talk about having you on the show. And you know, I just couldn't help but picture it's going to be a slightly different take on all the art I've seen. It is just not, it is not, (laughs) and it's stunning and it's beautiful. And it speaks to me in a, in a way that is just so different. And I can not wait to get it together and to tie the scriptures in with the images that that you've already put up and to kind of put all the pieces together. So you've got a customer and a fan in me that is a hundred percent. So very excited. Anything else you want to share before we, before we wrap up the episode? Uh, I feel like I've been, been, blessed to be able to work on it. The, the gospel, as I'm sure with all your listeners, uh, has shaped my life and, and, uh, I'm just lucky to be on the ride and try to contribute with the talents that I have to, uh, turn people to this good news and this wonderful message and this message that can change their life and make it better. Oh, I just love it. And I can only imagine when teenagers and 20 somethings see this, it will completely shift the way they perceive the Book of Mormon in a very, very good way. This has been so fantastic, Jared. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. We're going to wrap up this conversation with the question that we ask all of our guests. And that is Jared Miller. What does being a member of the church mean to you? Uh, Being a member of the church means being in a community of, of people who who want to serve other people, who want to give their life to making the world a better place. It, it means being able to 
be with people who who spend their days um, with the same trials and troubles that that we all have, but will still go out and and help their neighbor move or help some stranger move into their ward. Um, it it means being a part of the the kingdom of God on this earth. And I'm, I feel grateful that I get to do something to help push it along and, and try to bring it forward. Mm, I love it. The project is the book of Helaman part one. You can find out all about it at myscriptures.org. That's where all the information is. He is a husband. He is a father. He is an amazing artist. He is a student and a uh, world traveler as well. And he's got one heck of a cool project. Jared Miller, thank you so much for sharing your Latter-day Life with us. Thank you. And my special thanks to my new friend, Jared Miller. He is so humble and so just talented and has had such a fascinating life, I think thoroughly enjoyed sitting down with him. And and my enthusiasm for his book is very real. I keep going back to the website and looking at these stunning images. They just are beautiful. And I really appreciate all the work he's doing. Jared, you're, you're doing a great work. Thank you. Uh, this week in my Latter-day life, uh, you know, I've talked about it before on here that uh, I've gotten really into barbecue. And this has led me down a path to do some barbecue competitions. And my partner is Nick Galetti, who's been on the show a few times. And Nick and I have been doing these, they're called SCA events. They're Steak Cook-Off Association. And we've gotten okay at them. I wouldn't say we're great. Uh, Our best finish was a fifth place in one category and a second place in another. We're very proud of those, but we're still kind of learning but we're doing okay. We feel pretty confident when we go into these competitions. Now, we have wanted for a while to enter what are called KCBS competitions. And KCBS is the Kansas City Barbecue Society. And in those competitions, you are cooking four meats. You are cooking ribs and pork shoulder and uh, brisket and chicken. And so I signed us up for one. I thought, hey, this will be really fun. It's an overnight competition. Uh, the one we're doing is down near Las Vegas. And, and I got to say, over the last few years, I've gotten very comfortable with barbecue. I love it. It's pretty easy. If someone wants me to make them chicken or steaks or ribs or whatever, I feel like I can deliver a pretty okay meal. And then I started working on this KCBS and I found out that the way I do things is so wrong for the competitions that are coming up that they have their own judging criteria. And it's not just about does it taste good, it's the look, and it has to look a certain way, and it has to have a certain coloring, and it has to be trimmed a certain way and cut a certain way. And I know nothing about it. Uh, A friend of mine who works at a, a barbecue store, he put it this way. He said, throw everything you know about barbecue out the window. Uh, barbecue competition is cooking food you don't like for people you don't know. (laughs) And it's true, it's blind judging. And so this past week, because our first competition of this style is in six weeks, this past week I started practicing, starting with chicken. 
oh my gosh, it was so much work and it was so hard and I couldn't get the shape quite right and I feel like I overcooked it and there was too much pepper in it and then I started working on pork and I had to watch 10 videos on how to carve it and I thought it was going to take a certain amount of time. It took four hours longer than I expected and I carved it incorrectly and I didn't like the coloring on it and then I moved on to brisket and the way that you trim a brisket versus my normal brisket. It was so hard and if I'm being totally honest, I kind of just want to give up and go back to how I've always done things. But there's no growth in that. The growth is in challenging ourselves. I don't know about you, but I get this way with callings. I get a calling and I go, I have no idea how to do that calling. I'm not comfortable at all. And then I start doing the calling and over time, I get used to it and I get really happy with it. And eventually they say, hey, time to release you. And I go, no, but I know how to do that calling. Then I get called into something else and I go, but why? I don't know how to do this calling. And it's the same way with almost everything in life, right? There are days where I think my life would just be better if I just sat in my recliner and watched TV. And seriously, that does sound tempting quite often. But where's the growth? No, we should be pushing ourselves to change. And it's so frustrating at the beginning. And I commend anybody who tries. And and especially as we've moved to this home-centered church, I know there are people who are struggling, who are thinking, I don't know if I'm doing a good job with my kids and trying to do gospel study, but you're trying. Keep trying. And even if you fail, just keep trying. And I'm hopeful that eventually this style of cooking will become a little bit easier for me. I learned with each of the first cooks that I did. Now, I'm fully expecting that we are going to get destroyed when we go and compete. But that's okay. As long as I keep growing and changing and stretching, this is what we were put on earth to do, to better ourselves even if it's really, really hard. And that's what's happening this week in my Latter-day life. Thank you so much for listening again this week. We really appreciate it. We would be so grateful if you could share this podcast with with anybody out there. We don't do a lot of marketing, a lot of advertising. It's mostly through word of mouth. And we're so grateful for all of you who have shared it with friends. Uh, If you think of someone who would enjoy it, if you could share it with them, that'd be great. If you want to reach out to me, and thank you. Some of you have reached out with guest ideas. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Uh, We have some great guests coming up, but I'd love to hear more of your guest suggestions. Or if you have any thoughts on the show at all, you can reach me. The easiest way is through social media, uh, or you can email me at sean at latterdaylives.com. That's S-H-A-W-N at latterdaylives.com. I think that's about all we got for you this week. So until we meet again, there's a great big beautiful world out there. Go be in it, just not of it. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 